You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. We're um, in the book of 1 Samuel, which is a pretty awesome book. Who has read 1 Samuel before in the Bible? Yeah, great, great. If you haven't, Tell you what, it'd be worth a worth a morning to sit under a sit under a tree, grab a translation that you love, and have a read through it. It it is an amazing book, and uh, it's it's filled with some some incredible incredible stories and passages. And we're going to have a little bit of a look. You you would know some of them. You would know the story of David and Goliath. That's in there, chapter chapter seventeen. But there are some other amazing little elements which give us insights into the way. God and his, his people interact. In particular, we're approaching the book from the point of view. We know that this is, First Samuel is all about how God prepares um, the man David for, for kingship, and he will become the greatest king in Israel. And so we have some insights into how it is that God prepares us for, for leadership. On a practical level, um, at our 412, which is this coming Wednesday, as, as Blair mentioned, at a practical level, we're also looking at leadership. And we've been doing in the, the first plenary session um, some, or we've planned to do some interviews. Uh, last 412, we, we interviewed Cam's dad, Ash Zaki, um, an airline pilot, and asked him a, a little bit about what does leadership look like. Um, um, in the cockpit of a of an airplane, when you've got so many so many lives literally in your hands, and and uh, it was fascinating to get some insights from that. If you missed it, you can actually have a look at it online. And um, uh, as with many of our um, uh, uh, sermons and messages and so forth, but that's there for you to access. This Wednesday, we have uh, another guest. Um, he and his wife uh, attend EBC, although. Um, it's a little bit challenging because he works in America. You're kind of wondering, well, how does it, how does it work to live in Australia, attend Eltham Baptist Church, but, but work in the US? Well, come along and, and listen to Stuart Gill. He has a PhD in astrophysics. Now, I know a little bit myself about astrophysics. Um, I Googled it, and I discovered this. A quick search on Wikipedia tells us that astrophysics is, or an astrophysicist will study um, uh, such areas as uh, we're trying to determine the properties of, of dark matter, dark energy, black holes. Is time travel possible? Can wormholes form? Did you know wormholes in space? I, I guess the inference is there are worms in space. Did you know that? Come along and find out more about this. We'll have very clever questions for him. Um, it, it, we'll also find out about the multiverse does it exist? Um, and the origin and the ultimate fate of the universe. So these are all areas that someone with a PhD in astrophysics will have studied. More importantly, Stuart is a committed Christian. And as a scientist, um, he was, he was uh, doing a debate with an atheist and a pastor in the US on one occasion. And, and during the Q&A session, um, he was asked, how can you, a scientist, believe in God? And if you come along, we're going to ask him to revisit that moment and how he answered, answered that question. And, and um, come along on Wednesday and, and find out um, how the intersection of faith, 
um, and and leadership within the academic world, how they intersect. Um, so that that should be a, a a really good time. Come along and find out more. But let's have a little bit of a look now in First First Samuel chapter sixteen, and and primarily tonight, I want to just focus on one one verse. In chapter sixteen, this is the chapter where where essentially Samuel has been commanded by God to go and anoint the man who will be the next king of Israel. But it happens in a surprising fashion. And I, I wonder if you have ever felt what David must have felt. There he was, um, out in the paddocks, shepherding his sheep as the, the youngest of the family. It's hard to tell because we don't know the exact area that he would have been, but to what extent he would have been familiar with the goings-on back in the town of Bethlehem, we don't know. But we do know that the prophet Samuel came to town, to Bethlehem, and it caused quite a stir. We know that there were many in the, in the town who were troubled by his presence, actually, and they were, they were really, really wondering, what does this actually mean? Have you come in peace? Do you, do you mean harm? Which is an interesting response for one of, one of Israel's uh, uh, prophets. But it caused quite a stir in town. And, and Samuel puts everybody at ease by saying, it's all right, I've, I've just come to offer sacrifices. Please come and join me tonight. Go away, go and consecrate yourselves and come and join me for a sacrifice tonight. And so that was kind of the, the setting. Now, um, Samuel seems to himself go and help Jesse and his sons with this act of consecration. He consecrates them. He has a special interest, obviously, in the house of Jesse, except for David. Now, did David hear because of one of the servants of the household that there was this whole stirring, this commotion back there in Bethlehem? Did he know that a, a kind of a famous prophet had come to town that it had the whole town buzzing, that there was going to be this sacrifice, that everybody was invited, but not him. How do we know not him to the time of consecration? Well, we know that later that night, when it came time for the sacrifice, to offer up the sacrifice, Samuel asked for Jesse to, to bring before him all of his sons. Now, this is, this is an esteemed prophet within Israel. Within the, the house of Jesse itself, it would have caused quite a stirring. What is going on here? Why are all of these, these sons being brought before the prophet? And, and what is it that he is thinking and praying over them as they are brought one by one by one? What is going on here? We know that by the time he gets to the last son, Samuel in his spirit has sensed, nope, God's chosen one is not here. The one that God has chosen to be king over Israel, he is not amongst these sons. And he must have been a little bit perplexed. Like, well, what's going on here? Have, had, he, had he made a mistake? Perhaps he was second-guessing himself. So he asks Jesse the obvious question, is there anyone else? Do you have any other sons? Like he would. Like he would have another son that actually isn't there because of this whole big deal, that isn't present at this feast but instead is, is way off in the fields, tending to sheep. 
But that's exactly the case. He said, well, there is, there is one young whippersnapper. I think that's the translation in the message. There is one more, and Samuel says, well, we don't eat until he comes. In fact, we don't even sit down until he comes. Bring him, quick. And imagine what must have gone racing through David's mind. A servant is sent out into the fields, and David, come quickly. There's a prophet, a famous prophet, in Bethlehem, and you've got to come see. What? Nobody told me? Left out again? What, am I a nobody? Am I, just a, am I just a kid everybody seems to overlook? And he said, well, I don't know about that, but just come, come, come. And finally he comes, and when Samuel sees him, Although he may not have had the stature of some of the other brothers, he has a fine appearance. He's a handsome young boy. And Samuel immediately knows that's the one. This is the one. Have you ever felt overlooked? Does God have favorites? Sometimes I think inadvertently within, within Christian circles... We can latch on to this person or maybe that person. Maybe they're, maybe they're a singer in a really big church. Maybe they're a preacher that has, has a vast following through their podcast. Maybe they're just a name here in Melbourne. They're not famous worldwide, but, but they've got a bit of a name for themselves. They're in your circles. They're your peers. And everybody seems to know of such and such. Does God have favorites? Is there such thing as a Christian celebrity? Can we sometimes bring that almost celebrity status, which is worldly thinking from social media and so forth, can we bring that over into Christian circles in a way that's just not healthy, that's just not right, that sets us all of us up for disappointment because we can start to think that God does have favorites? That somehow there are, there are certain Christians within Christendom who have a special anointing upon them who, who somehow have been chosen by God to do great things because I don't know, but for some reason, it's them, not me. And you can feel a little bit like, a, oh, I'm just a guy, <laughs> just a gal. I mean, I'm not just a gal, but I'm a guy, but you might just translate that however you are. Anyway. You just feel like a, just a, a somebody, not a, not a big personality, not an important person, not a celebrity Christian, just, just a somebody. But in those quiet moments when doubts can creep in, you ask yourself, does God see me? Would he, would he in a crowd like tonight, would... Would he come up to me? Would he approach me and say, hey, I see you. I know you. You're my chosen one. Would he do that? Does God have favorites? Here's an interesting thing about this whole deal with anointing. So David, out there in the paddocks, forgotten, overlooked, didn't even get invited to the feast. I mean, it could have been arranged. Certainly, some household servant could have taken over his job just to allow the young man to be in the midst of such a great prophet. Surely, somehow, that could have been arranged. But no, nobody thinks about it. But God's not going to let that be. He finds David. 
And he calls him and, and he anoints him. But here's the interesting thing. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. So, so Samuel takes the horn of oil and he anoints David in the presence of his brothers. And we read that from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then a funny little sentence. Samuel then went to Ramah. That's it. Now, at first glance, you might think nothing of it. Except that the whole passage feels like it's been building towards this amazing climax in which David was out there in the fields, forgotten and overlooked, but now, look, God has found him and he's brought into the fold and he comes to the feast, is anointed by Samuel. Kingship is his destiny. Samuel goes back to Ramah. That's it. It's such an anticlimax. It's kind of like a, oh, Oh, didn't see that happening. I kind of thought at least somebody would produce a robe out of somewhere and put it around his shoulders, maybe a scepter in his hand. Somebody somewhere else is kind of fashioning a little crown and maybe Saul would, 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 would come and, and say, oh, you know what, I'm getting too old for this. Here, have the kingship. You know, maybe somehow it felt like the climax was building and, and great things were about to happen. But no, Samuel goes back to Ramah. And you know, sometimes... The Christian walk can be a little bit like that. We have an anointing. God anoints us. We may even have in our spirit, deep within us, some sort of a sense of that. We, we, have, we have felt that special touch from God. We've, we've felt that we've heard him say, you're my child, I love you. Maybe we've, we've sensed it in a very, very real fashion in a time of worship where we have just sensed God's pleasure upon us. There have been those moments where the truth of, of God's anointing and appointing has been very, very real to us. But then all of a sudden, it feels like, and then Samuel went to Ramah. Like, that, 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 that's it. It's, it's, it's Monday. I'm an anointed child of God. I don't, I don't have to get out of bed. I will float out of bed if I'm truly a son of the king. But it's not happening. You know... Why do I have to catch a bus or the train or public transport? Surely I can fly if angels can fly. A child of God could fly, right? But no, I'm late for the bus because I don't have wings. You know, it's, life can seem so thoroughly ordinary. There we await for, for the angelic host to pour our cereal for us and nothing. Nada. Zip. In fact... Our big brother or big sister beat us to the packet and the thing's empty. This is hardly fitting for a child of God. We have an anointing upon us. God has appointed us. We, we know and believe that, that God has chosen us to be his children. And yet life can often seem just so ordinary, can't it? And Samuel goes to Ramah. What's happening? Why is it that we can have an anointing from God that he can, he can appoint us, spiritually speaking, to such a high and elevated position, and yet life can feel so utterly ordinary? And the day-to-day -day seems to convince us that we are actually nothing important, nothing special, 
Nothing big is going on here. World, move on. Move on. There's nothing to see. What is happening in that those times when we are waiting on the promises of God? Well, firstly, I think it's interesting to note that in, in verse 13, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The emphasis isn't that David was suddenly a powerful man. That right there and then, as this young and, well, scholars think that he's maybe around 14, 15 years of age by the time that he slays the giant Goliath. Sorry, spoiler. That happens later. They think he's around 14, 15, so let's just backtrack a little bit. He's a little bit younger than that, already responsible enough to be out in the fields and so forth, looking after the sheep, but, but he's a young man. He's a young man. The Spirit of God comes powerfully upon him. We can think that this is all about power, that all of a sudden when he slings, he's got from 50 meters to 100 meters, that all of a sudden he's got just a little bit of a swagger in his step. This is... This was David. This is super David. Well, it's not so much that David is now a powerful man. It's that the Spirit of God was powerfully present upon him. There's still lessons that he must learn. There's still things that he has to understand. An anointing means that God is present with you. Firstly, yes, power will come, but it... But anointing is more about the presence of God than it is the power of God. His presence is his promise. Now, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ to bring you peace with your heavenly Father, if you are a child of God, then you have already received the Spirit of God. You have that anointing upon you. That anointing Yes, means power, absolutely. But it means power because of the presence of God. Firstly, his promise to you is one of presence. I am present with you. In whatever situation you find yourself, no matter how wonderful or how ordinary life seems, I am present with you. That's what my anointing means. It seems that, firstly, we're to understand that anointing is about being. The doing will flow. God's power will enable us to do. But we are anointed to be the people that God desires us to be. Sometimes, I guess, we feel rather weak and, and inadequate, unable to, to live up to the standards that we so often often uh, associate with the Christian life and the Christian walk. But God promises his presence. It's okay. You're not alone. You're not doing this on your own. I'm with you. And where his presence is, his power will be as well. Years ago, um, when I was growing up at Diamond Valley Baptist Church, I guess I was oh, probably 13, 14, probably about the same age as David. But I remember this, this remarkable time when all of a sudden, instead of somebody actually preaching during the morning services, we were having this, this strange new technology where they set up a video projector. It was about the size of a small car, and, and it projected up onto the screen, and we were able to watch on a screen 
Somebody speak to us. Fire video. It was incredible. Absolutely amazing. We used videotapes and things like that. It was cutting-edge technology. And Don Miller was the preacher, um, an American Southern Baptist teacher. And, and I remember being uh, amazed at his teaching on prayer. It really was anointed teaching. It was, it was perhaps even to this day some of the best teaching on prayer I have, I have ever experienced or sat under. Um, he um, certainly was a man who I believe had practiced what he was now preaching. He was, a few years ago, at the age of 83 years old, he was speaking at um, the Southern Baptist Pastors Conference on prayer. And a little write-up, somebody had interviewed him while he was there and, and basically delved a little bit into his prayer life. And I was kind of curious about this because I still remember that teaching from way, way back when I was just a kid. I still remember that teaching really impacting my life and convincing me that somehow I had to, I had to learn to pray. So I was curious as to, well, what was the prayer life of this prayer giant like? And here was an interesting insight. This, this reporter had did a, or done a little interview with him. And here was the report. Most days, 83-year-old Don Miller rises at 4 a.m. And he goes out to his garden to meet with his father. In the cool, still half-light of the Texas dawn, he sits down on the left side of a two-person swinging wooden bench, leaving room for his father to sit next to him. This is his habit. Miller said, his father is always there, sitting on the bench at his father's right hand. They talk, listen, and share each other's thoughts and stay in tune with each other's concerns. At 6 a.m., Miller gently awakens Libby, his bride of nearly 60 years, and then he returns to talk to his father for another hour. At 7 a.m., Libby joins her husband, and they talk to their father together and read from his word. It's a beautiful little glimpse into the, yes, the early morning habit of, of Don Miller, but you know what grabs me, and I hope you don't miss it, Getting caught up in the times there. Some of you didn't realize that 4 a.m. is actually a time. It is. It happens. Most of us sleep through it. But don't, don't get caught up on that so much. Here, fasten in on this. The intimacy. Here is, here is a quiet space which, which he had learned to cultivate. And for Don, it happened in that, in that early dawn time of every day. But here is intimacy with his heavenly father. Here was the sort of intimacy where Don truly, as he sat on the left of that, that swinging bench, sensed in a very real way his heavenly father sitting on his right. And here was a two-way relationship where, where he heard the concerns and the thoughts of his heavenly father and, and he knew that his heavenly father heard his concerns and his thoughts as well. A beautiful relationship. But it seems that for Don... The cultivation of that sort of intimacy with God and that sort of prayer walk was very, very important. Because at age 52, having been a pastor for many years, at age 52, he felt like he hit the sweet spot in his ministry calling. 
Isn't that interesting? That God would, would have that length of preparation time, very encouraging for many of us, particularly with so many 50 50-year birthday celebrations going on around the place. You've only just begun. But at 52, Don felt that he started to hit the sweet spot of what it is that God wanted him to do with the rest of his life. But he was prepared. Maybe, yes, there was this waiting. There was an anointing upon him. There was a sense in which God had something special for him. But in that waiting period... God would cultivate with him, within him the sort of intimacy that would allow him a very, very significant teaching ministry on prayer. So what is God doing during this waiting period? He's developing intimacy between him and you. The other thing to note here is that the God anoints the person, not the position. Kingship within Israel per se was not anointed. In fact, a quick flick through First and Second Kings demonstrates that that is obviously not so. There were many people in the position of king who did not know God whatsoever. God anoints the person, not the position. Don't wait in this time in which God... God places his hand upon you and says, surely you are my chosen one, my son, my daughter. I love you. I am setting you apart for a special task. Now wait, because Samuel goes to Ramah. In this waiting period, don't believe it's all being wasted. Yes, there is the development of intimacy with God, but also understand that his anointing is shaping you to be the person that he can truly use. Don't think that, you know what, I can just bide my time because until God gives me an anointed position, some sort of elevated role worthy of my full dedication and commitment, do you know what, I might just kind of cruise. Don't cruise. That is wasted preparation time. God is wanting to do a significant shaping of your heart in this waiting period because he anoints the person, not the position. The position will come, the platform, the the place from which God wants you to serve him. You know, we, we learn from David that he wasn't just anointed to be king. He was an anointed musician. Saul would be would be tormented from some sort of evil spirit that God had allowed to come into his life. David plays the harp and somehow it ministered to the innermost part of his soul. He was an anointed musician. He was an anointed warrior. At a young age, he had the courage to face off Goliath. He was an anointed leader. He didn't just, he didn't just uh, inherit an army that was going to follow him. You know, David's the general. You guys, you've got no choice. You've got to follow him. In fact, because he's forced out of Israel, we see this in later chapters, he actually goes out to the badlands and he gathers around him the outlaws. Now, these are the misfits. These are the, these are the sort of people who don't fit in with normal society. Over 600 of them. 
gather under his leadership and somehow he is able to bring them together under his command and he is able to lead them. Before he was an anointed king, he was anointed to serve in many, many other, other areas. So God anoints the person, not the position. And then lastly, what is God doing in this waiting period? He wants to develop intimacy with you. He wants you to understand his anointing upon you as a person to shape your heart, to be just like his. And there's one other thing here. He is developing perseverance. The waiting period, the time between you understand, you know that God's hand is upon you. But now life feels just so ordinary and I am struggling to kind of piece this whole thing together. And I haven't reached that celebrity status yet that some Christians seem to kind of just have handed to them. What is going on here is the test of perseverance. This is the time where you could be sorely tempted to just give up and to just become cynical and bitter, to just bail on the whole thing, to just kind of say, I don't know why it is not coming easily to me. I really thought God was going to just hand life to me on a platter. But here I am just struggling day to day to be the person that I know he longs for me to be. Do you know what? I'm just going to bail. I'm going to quit. I'm out of here. Give it up. That is obviously for the super Christians. That's the temptation. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't become one of those cynical or bitter people who only later on in life return to the Lord and saying, so many wasted years. Don't do that. But it is part of the test. One of the other tests will be to take shortcuts in the Christian life. That is to just kind of, kind of push through the obstacles that seem to be ahead of you, to take shortcuts, to make compromises, and to kind of say, well, listen, it's not unfolding the way that I thought it would unfold. I'll just unfold it myself. When we do that, things get ripped and torn. It is so much better to wait patiently until Father helps you unfold the plan for your life His way. Don't tear ahead. It will leave you with a ripped heart. But it is a test. And I guess one of the other parts of the test for perseverance is, is to just usurp God and others to attain that which you so long to have, to undermine others. And, and David was presented again and again with these opportunities to just usurp Saul. But instead, he chose not to touch the Lord's anointed, but to let God deliver the kingship to him in his time and in his way. It's a time of testing. It's a time to develop perseverance for you. It's a time where you wait on God and you trust that somehow this shaping period is going to produce the very, very best results. To try and bypass that in some way, you might get what you wish for, but it might not be what you really need. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones that said, there's nothing more tragic than for a man to succeed before his time. David seemed to understand that there is a time here and I must leave it 
in the Lord's hands. And so that's what God is doing during this waiting period. That time where, very obviously, you come to understand his anointing upon you, that he has called you to be his very own. And yes, Ephesians 2.10, there are good works that he has planned for you since the beginning of time. But notice they are good works, plural, not some one big work. He has anointed you for all of life. Every day is an anointed day in the hands of God. And every day there is something which he has appointed for you to do for him. A very, very important work. Not to be overlooked because our sights are set too far in the future. So what do we do? When tomorrow we wake up and we feel ordinary and the cereal packet is empty, we have to get out of bed ourselves and make our own arrangements to get wherever it is that we have to be. And the world seems to fail to recognize that we are a child of God. Trust him. He'll find you. He has a way of finding you. You might feel you're left out, overlooked, out there in the fields. Nobody sees you. Nobody cares. Somehow you're just not cut out. Trust him. He will find you. He truly will. And not only that, but he will find the real you. What do I mean by that? Well, remember here there is confusion about appearances here. There's a temptation a very real temptation for Samuel to, to look at outward appearances and go for, the, go for the big, tall, strong brother. And we learned later that actually David apparently has this ruddy complexion. He's a, he's a handsome young man anyway. So you sort of think, well, appearances matter? Or no, no, they just don't matter. It doesn't matter what abilities and skills and gifts and things that you have. Go, doesn't matter what you've got going for you or what you don't have going for you. It's just totally irrelevant in God's economy. Because he sees the real you. Now, we all know, don't we, that the world has a spectacular way of, of checking you off against its own little tick list. You know, are you this? Are you this? Are you this? And we get so tired of it, don't we? Oh, please stop. Stop just checking off your little ticks as if I am worthy or unworthy in your eyes. But truth is, don't we also have that same checklist? We might not necessarily like the criteria on, on the checklist that the world has, but don't we have our own little one? Don't we have a checklist that kind of says that, I think it was a good day today. You know, I kind of like this about myself, and I like the way I did this, and I like the way I handled that, and I like the way I did this, and I feel good about myself. And then, day two. You know, I don't know. I don't feel so good today. I don't like the way I did this. I don't like the way I did that. I don't like the way this happened or this occurred and the way that our circumstances seem to rise and fall we tend to say have that same little checklist don't we and we kind of feel good about ourselves we feel bad about ourselves but we're doing exactly the same thing that so often others do we're ticking off that checklist and we're liking ourselves or not but here's the beauty of your heavenly father he will find you but he will find the real you the you that not even you necessarily see. 
because he can see your heart. He can see that real part of you, the spirit within you. He can see his sonship and his daughtership. He knows who you really are, even more so than you do. That's the you that he is looking for, and he will find you, and he will draw you out. Trust him. He's very, very good at that. You see, ultimately, David was not called to kingship. He was called to sonship. Romans 1.6 tells you that you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The most wonderful truth about the Christian life is not that God has called you to some great work to do for him. He has called you to be his child. And of course, our father is at work. And yes, he has good works for you to do as well. He loves to employ his children in his labor. Come join me. I love what I do. You love what I do. Absolutely. But it all flows out of relationship. Your family. He loves you. And he wants the doing to flow out of the being. And sometimes that takes time to shape. I wonder tonight if for you, you've needed that encouragement, needed to be reminded that it is not about your performance, it's not about what you can do for God. But once more, as we, we often say, it's about what God has done for you. It's what God has done in you. And tonight, he wants to draw the real you out once more and say, I see you. You're not forgotten. I see you. I know you. I love you. You are mine. And yes, there are great things for us to do together. But never forget, never ever forget that my joy could not be more complete when you accept that you're just my child. There is nothing that you can do for God that can bring him greater pleasure than he already has because you belong to him. Let's pray. Old preacher many, many years ago once asked his audience this question and contemplate this as you close your eyes. What more do you need to do to please God? Heavenly Father, as we contemplate that question, I trust that we would hear your voice. Speaking over our lives. Answering emphatically. Nothing.
there's nothing for you to do because I've done it all. You belong to me. Now, just belong. Just belong. Help us to understand this truth. Heavenly Father, I pray. Called to belong to you. We have an anointing upon us. And we're called to belong to you. Let it be. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.